Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 341, the Harry Styles Affair. podcast i'm frank joined as always with sam and eddie well eddie i i love hate to do this to you but ever since england have lost in the euro final i like to tease you about italy's great success since that they have now failed to automatically qualify for the world cup and have dropped into the playoff how does it make you feel seeing that England have cruised their way through the very commanding qualification, whereas Italy just seems to not be as good as they were in that one final? <laughs> well, I, don't, I think that that's doing them a slight disservice. They were very good over the course of the Euros. So it's not as if they produced, <laughs> the, they've dropped off a cliff certainly since then. Yeah, I'm, it doesn't bother me too much. It's it's a mild frustration of why this couldn't this have happened started three days earlier, I guess. But at the same time, they're a good side. I expect that they'll qualify for the World Cup through the playoffs. There are some other good sides going into the playoffs in Europe. So there is a possibility that they get quite a tricky tie. But I'm going to assume that they'll qualify and then I assume that they'll have a good World Cup. So... Uh, yeah, I think this is the aberration. It's not the Euros that was the aberration. Yeah, my um, my frustration has slightly waned at the fact that this is just one of those... It, it always happens with teams that like win World Cups, or well, usually anyway. When they win World Cups, they naturally have like a dip or a Euros or any sort of sport, really. But they could face Portugal, right? That's my understanding, is you could have Italy-Portugal for the World Cup playoffs, and one of them will naturally not qualify, which is quite strange from a European perspective not to have either. Uh, can, but then again, we've got used to the Dutch not being there until recently, until this one. So. Yeah, I mean, I think Portugal, it's more of a recent thing. You know, it's only the golden generation and then Ronaldo that have made us think of Portugal as being consistent, relevant figures on a European stage. But it's not as if you went back to the 90s and 80s that they would have been a team that would have always sort of ever present in the knockout stages of major tournaments. So it is kind of a, I'm going to expect that when Ronaldo disappears, Portugal, although they have some very talented players there, I think they'll probably not quite reach the same levels that they have in recent years. So the teams that have qualified so far are Belgium, Croatia, Denmark, England, Germany, France, uh, Spain, Netherlands, Switzerland, and Serbia. Any surprises out of those or any that, that you think are interesting that they've made it already? I don't think any of those are shockers. Obviously, the, the surprising ones are Serbia because they were in the group with Portugal and they only got through because of that Mitrovic last-minute goal. And then also uh, Switzerland just because they were in the group with Italy. They're surprising in those respects. They're not. I mean, both Serbia and Switzerland have qualified for their fair share. I mean, I feel like Switzerland are in almost every major tournament. So they seem like a normal team to be there. Serbia have been at a number of tournaments in recent years. So neither of those really stunned me. It's just that they came through 
groups that you maybe would have projected that they finished second in. I would have put them both in the playoffs had you asked me at the beginning of qualification where will they finish up. And I probably would have then said they'll, they'll make it through the playoffs. And I think Sam already hinted towards the Netherlands being back, right? And that's the first time they've been back in, uh, what, three? I think they've missed, they've missed the, so they were at the recent Euros, but they missed the Euros and the World Cup before that, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, not just World Cup. Yeah, Euros and World Cup. Yeah. Uh, No, it'll be interesting. I mean, it's, it's kind of weird because, you know, we really should be six months away from a World Cup and instead it's coming at Christmas and that uh, next year, winter, I don't want to make it centered around the Christian religion, particularly for a tournament that's taking place in the Middle East. But it, it is a bit strange to, that it still doesn't feel close. Uh, but I did I did find it interesting. I don't know if you saw the... I, I think this is the president of the Serbian Football Association, but I was unclear as to whether it was the president of Serbia or the president of their football association offered the players a million pound, bo- a million euro bonus if they qualified directly for the World Cup, which the players have then all offered to charities to help people in Serbia, which I think is the right thing for them to do. Not that Serbia is a desperately poor country, but it certainly isn't a wealthy one. And the prospect of footballers receiving million euro bonuses for qualifying for a World Cup when public funds could be used much, much better would have been a little bit of a weird one for me. But at least the players meant that they... And who knows, maybe there was a a wink and a nod when the offer was made of, hey, even if you technically get this bonus, this is going towards a good cause that will make everyone involved look better. But it... It did seem a bit strange. Yeah, the only other thing to take from it is kind of a, a semi-hats off to the Scots, right? Because they started that group, what, with what, one win in four, I think, and then suddenly won almost every game past that. Look, not to say it had incredible opposition, right? But simultaneously, you know, Austria are... They turn up at Euros. <laughs> they're, they're kind of usually there. They usually qualify. But yeah, it's pretty pretty impressive from them to see them kind of go on that five or six game win streak in order to kind of turn up so that was fairly impressive I, look i i like scotland qualifying for major tournaments you know i the first world cup that i can really 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 remember is the 1998 world cup scotland were there delamitri came out with don't come home too soon which even though i love a lot of the football songs associated with the england football team i think don't come home too soon is the best tournament specific football anthem of all time i think the just acceptance of failure that comes out in that song which i people miss i think people misread even football's coming home a large part of football's coming home when interpreted correctly is a recognition of consistent failure and the fact that you know it's kind of despite the misery there's still hope and I think people sometimes take it as being just a lack of, you know, a lack of self-awareness and just a total ego trip. I think it's the opposite. But don't come home too soon is just a total acceptance of the fact that the best case scenario is not abject failure, which I just think is wonderful as a as a song to celebrate going to a major tournament. First ever time I think Delamitri has made a had a reference on the podcast, which is surprising given the fact that Delamitri 
one of the reasons Frank and I know each other. Wait, what? What? Did you meet well, them? Tim, or? <laughs> Tim is, you know, Tim is insistent on the fact that Delamitri was playing when he and I first met. You know, he has this thing where his no, it's I unchallengeable. It was, I thought it wasn't Delamitri. I thought it was. Uh... Oh, it's Dispatch. Dispatch. It's dis- yeah, yeah. Dispatch. <laughs> it's Dispatch. But I... Delamitri also plays a role in that playlist. But it's always one of those things about Tim. You can't challenge someone who meets you or it's a good power move for anyone out there listening. If you ever want to try and claim to have a really great memory, just go up to someone you've known for a while. And then be like, do you know when we first met song X was playing? There's an almost 0% chance that they will have a strong opinion as to whether or not it was. And so it's undebatable. But you can just say like, no, 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 I can clearly remember it and you have yeah. no recollection. So I must be right. I, another classic Tim move similar to that is to determine if you were at someone's place or not is to describe what their kitchen table looked like. Because <laughs> you've got a 50% chance of saying it's no. either square no. or round. So no. even if you're lying, <laughs> no. you've got a really yeah. good chance. You're, you're just it like wasn't... a TV psychic playing the odds there as opposed to... <laughs> But, but in the same sense, though, like who would who would say you know who would say that if they weren't you know who would be like oh I was there because your your kitchen table it's round you know like yeah oh, so to be clear he 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 wasn't <laughs> saying what the kitchen table looked like because that's actually fairly specific he was just describing the shape and in which case yeah you maybe have round square or rectangular as the only popular options and if you chose anything other than that and it was right, then I would believe you. Like if you said your kitchen table is triangular, and it is, that would automatically make me believe you'd been into someone's kitchen. Whereas just saying it's round, and then they say, well, yeah, but most of them are. But it'd be interesting. I mean, I just hope at one point he gets used as a as an eyewitness in, <laughs> in a murder ca- case or something. Because His own. The, <laughs> <laughs> just the evidence that he will be using what's your alibi well i, I definitely wasn't there officer because i was actually uh i was at my i was at this unknown location during that period uh, do you have any proof yeah the walls some of them are white yeah, the dishwasher's oh, well. dishwasher's samson <laughs> like, yeah, i'm wondering yeah, exactly. if he remembers these bits of information because he feels like it's a this is a good moment and i need to have memories of it or whether it's just completely subconsciously always happening or he's just I mean, lying if... and making it up that's what we, it's like that's what i think because he if you pick something so obscure as a kitchen table people people would say like why would he say no, that no 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 i just need to i just need to Sam, I, Sam, again, optimistic in the way you interpret things. <laughs> Tim is sitting there going, wow, this is a really great This moment. is a special moment I, in my life. I need, to, I need to take this one in. I need to remember this. The kitchen table's round. Don't forget that, Tim. You, you can imagine these Rain Man moments where he's just looking around. 43-inch TV. <laughs> Hitachi. Time to take a mental picture. Yeah, I have to create my memory palace right here, right now. <laughs> but no, going back to the Italians, it doesn't bother me too much. But I will forever be left with the thought that England should have won that tournament, not in the sense that they deserve to win the final itself, but that it was a missed opportunity against teams that they should have beaten and that they were the better team in terms of talent and ability on going into every match that they played. 
I'm not saying, again, Italy were the better team on the day of the final and deserve to win the final, but England have a better side overall. I did like, we obviously, we discussed Harry Kane at length in the last episode. So much discussion this week in the sort of sports talk, radio, footballing coverage world has been to get dedicated to the Rooney versus Kane debate for reasons I don't totally understand. I mean, I know that that Kane is closing in on the all-time goal score record and will break it with ease and set a record that is far, far higher than what Rooney's is. But it's still surprising. I don't know why these goals against subpar opposition, the sort of back-to-back hat tricks, triggered this larger debate about who's better, Kane or Rooney. I mean, my opinion is Wayne Rooney was the much better player, but never quite fulfilled his potential, even if his career was tremendously successful. Wait, I don't understand then. Are you saying Wayne Rooney was like the more talented player, but didn't live up to it? I think Wayne Rooney had the talent level necessary to be one of the two or three best players in the world. And for a a very short period in his career, that's where he was. But he never managed to really develop from the... I don't think he got... He didn't become much a much better player from the age of, say, 22 to 28. Whereas a lot of players, if you compare him with, say, Ronaldo, his progression over a similar period of time was astronomical. Whereas Rooney got better, but not by as much as you would have thought he could have done. And I, th- I think Rooney's underrated now because I think people remember the tail end of his career when he was just this sort of weird holding midfielder at times and jack of all trades kind of master of none for that United and England team. And I think people forget how good he was in the 2000s. But I think he's both a better player than Harry Kane or was a better player than Harry Kane is at the same time didn't reach the levels he could have reached yeah I think with Rooney as well he was just part of England teams that were just perennial failures in a way as well so he didn't have as many opportunities to do it at the kind of competitive stage outside of qualifiers so at a World Cup and Euros I think one of them he was suspended for one of the opening games of the group stage to which England didn't progress so he only had two opportunities Um, uh, he just hasn't it just didn't feel like he did it on the main stage. And to be honest, I think that's out of injury or suspension. But I think with Kane, it's also just kind of close to mind as well. Like we're seeing Kane do it now. So you immediately almost forget about Rooney rather than kind of remember what you were living through with Rooney. I think it's also a larger debate. I think it's one that will, it will never be settled in the footballing world of, you know, would you rather have a player who you can watch and say he's definitely way better than him but then the other player scores more goals. And the fundamental goal of the sport, right, is to, is to score. And the, there are players where they are passengers other than their goal-scoring ability. Then it's an issue. And you see plenty of them. Whereas they've either scored or they've done nothing. And if anything, they have hurt you in games, even when they are scoring, because all they are there to do is potentially take a chance. Harry Kane is a better footballer than that. But... It is that in, if he ends up, he could score 100 goals for England. And if he scores 100 goals for England, it's then weird to turn around and say, but Wayne Rooney, whose fundamental sort of purpose within the England team 
was to score goals, scored a fraction of what Kane may end up on, but was a better player. If you see what I mean, it becomes a weird discussion of, yes, the results tell us that one of them was definitely better at doing what they're doing, but what a, the other one was. What about major trophies we talked about last week or last episode about that the amount of trophies or championships you win obviously defines your success. Now, Wayne Rooney has many of those and Harry Kane has none of those. <laughs> Yeah, Kane has Kane has none. Harry uh, Wayne Rooney won on a club level, won everything, uh, international level. Harry Kane's been more successful. So again, I guess from an England perspective, you'd say that Harry Kane has already had a better England career than Wayne Rooney did, because Kane's played in a major final and a major semi-final, and Rooney did neither of those things. So I guess on an international, from an international career perspective. Kane is already on top, even if he never plays another game. But yeah, as an overall career, I mean, Rooney won a Champions League, multiple Premier League titles, multiple FA Cups, League Cups, Community Shields, everything you could hope to win as an individual player and lost, you know, lost Champions League finals. So it's not as if he only won it the one time he got there. I guess the thing is, I part of the issue for Rooney is, there weren't large periods of time where it felt like it was Rooney's team. And I think that's part of the thing that kind of taints his legacy a little bit is I don't really think of necessarily like when I think of United winning the champions league, he was obviously a fundamental part in that, but I don't think of it as like Rooney's United won the champions league. And when you are getting in the discussions for being a sort of all-time great or a really a truly truly world-class player if you aren't the player that you think of when you think of the teams that you were on i think that hurts you a little bit it's you know you had this a little bit with scotty pippen and michael jordan with scotty pippen who's currently on a campaign to try and just tarnish michael jordan every every step he takes which i know is just because he's trying to sell a book for the most part, but he also seems genuinely pretty bitter. But obviously Michael Jordan was a better basketball player than Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was a fantastic basketball player. But also the other thing is that was Michael Jordan's team. They may have won the same number of championships, but there's no doubt that the key person within those was Michael Jordan and not Scottie Pippen. I guess it just depends where you want to put the emphasis on what defines good player like is it the lethalness in front of goal is it the con contributions they make up front is it the hold up play it really depends what you want to do right because you even had some midfielders that maybe scored on average better goals per game than strikers so I think David Platt's a good example right where he had like 50 odd caps and scored like 27 goals so do you say that David Platt is one of the greatest England midfielders you probably wouldn't but, you know, still had a very good I contribution. David, I don't think David Platt would. No, but that's what I mean. It's like, if you're just talking outright goals per game, yes, you know, you're not going to put David Platt there, but from midfield, that's pretty, pretty incredible in that respect. But I think for I guess, me, I, guess, Sam, I, I agree. The, with... the question then, Sam, would be, if you had to start a team and you had to choose your first player, is it Wayne Rooney or is it Harry Kane? I think 
this England team, the way the rhetoric is discussed, it is Harry Kane leading the line of a talented England team. And all of these players around him are very versatile. So like Sancho can play anywhere. Sterling can play anywhere. Foden can. They can really play any sort of formation. Sancho mostly just doesn't play. Well, (laughs) key point there, they've got to contribute at the moment. Okay. (laughs) Sancho Sancho and I are playing about as much football as each other at the moment. But Kane is... Kane doesn't move in that, right? He'll maybe come off 60 minutes in, Rashford will come on, for example, or something. But Kane is the anchor in a very talented team. And I agree with Eddie that it never felt like Rooney's England, but this, in my opinion, is Kane's England. So I I'd kind of, I think Kane might actually be the default starter in like a team. Yeah, I think this is Kane's England team. I think he's the first player, if you ask me, if... 10 years from now, you say name an England footballer who played, like the first England footballer who comes to mind who played between the years of, you know, 2016 and 2022. I think Harry Kane is the one I would name. Whereas I think if you ask me over the period of Wayne Rooney's career, so let's say 2002 to 2016, it's a little unfair because that's multiple generations sneaking in. But even if you split that up, so even if you do 2000 and to 2010 I don't think of him and then if you do sort of 2010 to 2016 I still don't think he's he might 2010 to 2016 he might just be the first I think of but I still would probably be say Steven Gerrard or or someone even though Gerrard retired before Rooney did you you would you would owe yourself to the kind of Gerrard Lampard argument of how you place him in midfield for that I think the 2006 World Cup was kind of the epitome of that argument as well and almost everything else didn't matter it was a case of how you get like arguably two of the best midfielders to play with each other like that was the overarching debate of it like who's the better midfielder for attacking or defensive duties I wouldn't have thought about Wayne Rooney in that respect Eddie you don't have a soundbite for when Sam says playing with each other (laughs) no (laughs) not yet but yeah, no, I agree with you. And and look, it's it's the same. Like if we take players from the eighties and nineties, Gary Lineker scored more goals for England than Alan Shearer did. But I have no doubt about the fact that Alan Shearer was a better footballer than Gary Lineker is. And and similarly, if we did a draft and we can take either one of them at their in their prime, I take Alan Shearer every time over Gary Lineker. But then Gary Lineker scored more goals for England. What about Peter Crouch? Like 20-odd goals, 40-odd appearances, a couple of hat-tricks against Jamaica and people of the sorts. Didn't really achieve at a club level, but seemingly the international level defines him more than the club, maybe? Peter Crouch falls into that weird category where he is more of a cultural icon than he is a footballer. And I mean that he was a good footballer. Obviously, far be it from me to try and say that he wasn't good at what he did and you don't score 100 Premier League goals because you can't play football. But at the same time, his lasting legacy is because he's kind of weird looking and he's quite charming. (laughs) No, you're you're right. It's the robot thing. So it's the robot celebration. It's the height. It's him saying surprisingly good with his feet or someone saying surprisingly good with his feet. And the quote about what would you be doing if you're not a footballer? And he said, I'd be a virgin. Which I saw Harry Styles stole. Really? Yeah, I saw an interview. I was watching, again, on a YouTube rabbit hole I was going down. And sometimes I watch those those dumb compilations just because they'll be suggested for me where it's like, 
10 minutes of videos that live in my head rent free or like 10 minutes of video, 10 minutes of videos I watch when I can't fall asleep at 3am. And those usually are when I'm watching them. And one of them was Harry Styles was asked the same question that Peter Crouch. So Frank, if you're not familiar, Peter Crouch was once asked when he was early on in his career, what would you be if you hadn't been a footballer? And he said, a virgin. Now, in the case of Peter Crouch, that is a very believable answer to that question. He also married a famous and successful and by most people's standards, attractive woman. So he, it feels like he punched up as to where he would have probably landed had he not been a footballer. Whereas Harry Styles got asked exactly the same question. What would you have been had you not been a singer or a musician? And he said a virgin. The crowd obviously thought this was a hilarious answer. Harry Styles, uh, you know, Oh, here, here comes a res- here comes a revelation by Eddie. Here it goes. No, but I mean, Harry Styles is an attractive man, so he's not only sleeping with women because he's famous. He would have still been able to do that, even if he'd been a nobody. Oh, I thought you were going to say not only is he sleeping with women, he's also sleeping with me. I thought that's what you were going to say there. <laughs> oh, you thought that's how Wait, big the that's re- the next step with Eddie. <laughs> you thought. You thought that's how big the revelation was going to be. Yeah. That I had just been sitting on the fact that I had been secretly having an affair. You've been sitting on Harry Styles, yes. 150 (laughs) episodes of trying to bring it out. And you just got this one moment. I could have made us go viral from day one. And instead, I've just been like, you know what? Right time, right place for this one. At some (laughs) moment in time, I'm just going to drop. Hey, guys, I've been fucking Harry Styles, by the way. (laughs) Do you have a Harry Styles song queued up? No, sadly not. Maybe that will be. Maybe Harry Styles will make it into the the future sound bites. But I can't think of a a One Direction or a Harry Styles song that would be suitable. No, I can only think no, of Watermelon know. Sugar. That's all I can think yeah, of. Yeah, that doesn't. It doesn't, doesn't really work. work. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it and <laughs> and come, try and come up with something. And I guess going on to a slightly more depressing topic, the other big news in the world of sport this year, week certainly in the UK, has been the racism scandal. I kind of hate framing it that way, but it's hit cricket based on uh, former Yorkshire cricketer Azim Rafiq speaking about the systemic racism that he experienced during his time playing for the the county. Um, Just the fact that, and it's, it's a scandal that has then spread had an impact on the England team because there are stories that came out relating to the behavior of several members of the England team at different periods in time. The most notable of which was Gary Balance, who was a Yorkshire player who would use the term Kevin to refer to all people of color in a sort of disparaging way. And that he be then became close friends with Alex Hales, who then got a dog, which is a mostly black dog, and then named his dog Kevin. Now, Alex Hales has obviously already had a controversial career. He missed out on the 2019 England World Cup win because he tested positive for cocaine, and then he has never been brought back in for selection. England have received some criticism over time for not bringing Alex Hales back into the England squad because his performances since then, I mean, he's one of the best batsmen in the world in the shorter form of the game. And when you look at, for example, in this T20 World Cup, after when they lost Jason Roy to injury, Alex Hales would have been the natural replacement 
to come in as an opener. And Morgan and the England team have received some criticism over the past two years for not bringing him back into the fold. Now, whether or not they were lucky in not doing that, or if they were aware of maybe some of the less likable aspects of his character and so decided that it wasn't worth it, either way, it's a very good result for this England team. But a very sad state of affairs for the game of cricket to see the level of racism still present and and in a i mean he speaks very openly about being sort of racial slurs that are used from people from the subcontinent obviously he's particularly addressed at people from pakistan being openly used in the in the changing rooms i mean it's just really awful when he spoke about it yeah it's, it's awful but also it's just how it's kind of you realize how much more systemic it is than just a single county cricket club right it's so it came out that the thing that frustrates me the most is when people um, kind of try to diminish abuse and call it banter, um, the kind of racial abuse. And they say, no, it was banter. I really, that's, that's an awful thing, but how it's come out that the Yorkshire board, the cricket County cricket board, semi covered it up by not releasing reports. Didn't really want to talk about it constantly kind of uh, pushed it under the rug, so to speak. But then as a result of this kind of like lighting this ember of sorts under it, they then uh, there's comments against Michael Vaughan in terms of England's captaincy at the time, making racial comments. It's now come to transpire that uh, other British Asians have come out and said that they received similar things or they felt that the ECB, so the English cricket board, um, didn't offer any sort of help or protection or feel that sense of inclusiveness towards it. And and so much so now that the UK government's now involved to say that they're not ruling out what they call like a nuclear option of creating an independent regulator. So it, it's always such a shame when, you know, what you what you would always hope to be an isolated case turns out to be something way more systemic and way more kind of institutionalized. And, you know, obviously it's good to see even though it's forced people resign like the Yorkshire board and people resigning as a result of it. But it, it's just kind of an awful state of affairs just to see it snowball the way it has. Um, because I don't know, I always like to think of cricket as something that's very easy to be inclusive in terms of a sport, just due to the um, kind of historical links with kind of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, all of those places. Well, It's, it's one of the most diverse sports in terms of the professional, the professional representation. It is at a very elite level just because of where the sport is played. There aren't many sports where you would see such a range. You could see the same number of elite players from the subcontinent as you see from the West Indies, as you see from South Africa, as you see from England or Australia. So you're right in that respect. It is a just because of its origins or how the, the sport has developed, it is a much more diverse sport than you necessarily would see in, say, tennis or golf. Do you think it's kind of tarnished your opinion of cricket? Because you've, you've always had this perception of cricket being this, not gentleman's game, but the idea of like everything is above board. I, I know sledging exists, but the idea that it's very sportsmanlike and uh, people are very respectful of the other team. Um, we've always spoken about it with New Zealand, for example, being those kind of like nice guys of it. Do you think now you feel like there's a bit of a, a bit of a, a like a kind of underbelly to it that maybe is a bit worse than what we see? No, 
And that's not because I think highly of cricket. It's just because I don't think that highly of society or people as a whole. So it doesn't surprise me that there's elements of racism in pretty much every aspect of what we do. And particularly a little bit like you touched on, once you get into a situation where uh, things can be dismissed as being banter or locker room talk, it's very easy for... And, and this is where I think people have to be careful. There are genuine re- examples of that. And, and I know, for example, Matthew Hoggard, and this is not to in any way say that he is then not guilty of doing something wrong, but Matthew Hoggard immediately reached out uh, and said he didn't, you know, he, he didn't realize what he was saying and that he hoped that he hadn't done any long-term damage. I think there are people who can get caught up in a certain culture and say things that they don't necessarily mean and certainly not realize the significance of them. That doesn't make it right, but I do think there are examples of that. That's very different. This has exposed people who had strong beliefs and were standing by what they were saying. I mean, when he is talking about being told, having the captain of his team come up and tell people not to speak to him because he's just a a dirty P word and that he smells and and all sorts of things. That's not just locker room banter. You know, that's not just throwing across a few insults because we're all going to insult each other. And deep down, we know it doesn't matter. And... I do fear sometimes that there can be a snowball effect for things like this and people who did just say things not correctly, but not in that way, get caught up and the sort of people doing the real harm in a sense almost end up getting overlooked because there are going to be higher profile names who will, someone will have said something bad. I mean, even today, uh, Azim Rafiq has had to come out and apologize because a screenshot of him saying something inappropriate about Jewish people came out. And look, we've all got skeletons in our closets and we've all got things that we would not want, that we've said that we don't want going public. And this should in no way undermine what he's experienced. Uh, But I think that's my, that's the only thing I become wary of at times. It's just this fear that, and I, 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 it's so difficult to express that properly because I think people will, I can understand someone listening to what I'm saying and telling me that I'm defending this sort of indefensible or that, uh, you know, you're kind of going into those weird, strange fears of, of witch hunts and cancel culture and the kind of Aaron Rodgers argument. And I'm not saying that, but sometimes you do have to look at things in the kind of cold light of day and objectively and try and determine when did someone have intention behind what they said and when they didn't, when did they not? And it doesn't justify the lack of intention. It's still bad, but it's a huge difference. Yeah, I, th- I think it's that kind of intent, intent or malice versus education, right? Like you say, the Hoggard scenario is like, I didn't realize what I was saying. You know, I apologize unreservedly and it, it's something I need to improve on as a person. Whereas obviously there's malice when you say what you say about don't go near someone because they smell based on some sort of profiling is, of course, unacceptable. I think um, Nasser Hussein, who's kind of Indian born himself, came out and said that, you know, the hope is from this, even though it's kind of like airing a lot of dirty laundry in that respect, that this will lead to a brighter kind of more inclusive game in terms of like a lot of things will be found out. A lot of things will be identified. There'll be greater scrutiny, greater education, greater diversity and inclusiveness programs. And, you know, if if this is a tragic spark that kind of ignites a more inclusive cricket then let's do it kind of like you, you kind of need to embrace this moment even though it's born of kind of a sadness of sorts to try and make it better for everyone yeah 100 percent. you're going to take these really bad events sometimes to push the ball forward a bit further but 
No, it's it's obviously not a great look for cricket. Push uh, the boundary. And not a, exactly, yeah. I also like that you referred to Nasir Sain as your, your exact words were there, who's kind of Indian. No, born. I said who I think, okay. <laughs> oh, crap. Do I have to apologize now? Who I think is Indian born, as opposed to kind of. But no. And 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 also just have to commend uh, Azim Rafiq for sitting there and, and speaking so openly about it because it cannot be easy to know that you're going to be, what you're saying is going to be scrutinized, that people are going to deny them. People are going to say they just don't remember it, which I I think is the worst offense. I think I almost, uh, and this is a, a discuss. I mean, this is a discussion that we had, Sam, you and I had because of circumstances that happened in my personal life, but where I kind of came back across my, I don't think we discussed this on the podcast, but my childhood bully uh, in a weird way just because the world is small. So someone I know slept with him and it led to a discussion about Harry this. Styles. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah, all Harry full Styles circle. Big chill, big chill exclusive. <laughs> Harry Styles cheated on me with my childhood bully. It was very upsetting, but Taylor Swift's going to write a song about it. So it'll be okay. But, and I remember once confronting him when I say confronting him, just, it wasn't, I didn't want anything from it. I just said, hey, and then we kind of reintroduced ourselves. And then I said, oh, I, I know who you are. You bullied me when we were 12 years old. And then he said he didn't remember it. And I think the saying you don't remember it is far more insulting than anything. I would have preferred him denying it. But the no, this was so in, inconsequential. I know I made your life misery for a while, but I, I it's just another day in my life that I means nothing to me. And then it gave you a Charlie horse. <laughs> yeah, it gave you a swirly. <laughs> but onto lighter topics, I don't know if you saw that the Manning cast curse was semi-broken this week after Draymond Green made an appearance on Monday Night Football and then the Golden State Warriors won their next game in a... I'll, I'll at least give it some credibility in the sense that they beat the, the Brooklyn Nets so it was a big game I still think that the Manning case very spe- curse specifically applies to NFL players so we've yet to see that broken but it was at least and that the Eli and Peyton Manning addressed it on the on the cast yeah. itself I, I like Mickelson's response because Phil Mickelson was also on yeah and and he said um he was taking it extremely seriously and had opted not to play the following week for fear that something might happen to his game. So I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, they they tried to use Mickelson to debunk it, essentially, and all he did was just come out and say, like, no, 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 it is a thing, and that's why I'm not playing next week. That must have been pretty bad for them to hear. I did like we got a closer look at Eli's setup, though, because he's obviously he's recording all of these from his golf simulator within his house. So which he had the game playing on the projection screen that his golf simulator was on, but then also for a while took a couple of swings that Phil Mickelson then analyzed and described as being cute, but nice, nice setup. I, I would love to be able to sit down and watch the NFL on Sunday with my multiple screens plus my golf simulator where I could either have a few swings or just put up a, you know, whatever it is, hundred, 200 inch, projection of the game just go public with the harry styles stuff then 
You get all your money. Harry can get that for you. <laughs> yeah, you can call it hush money. You can send him a message like, I'm going to go to the media with this story. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not my sugar daddy yet. So... So I before we get to our NFL picks for the week, I guess we're now deep enough into the season where we have a decent idea of what teams are and who we think they are. So I wanted to just get your uh, do, hold on. Well, hold, hold on, hold on. You can't cue me up for a, a, a soundbite drop and then quickly move on. But they are who we thought they were. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Beautifully timed. <laughs> Smooth. I can fix that in editing. Okay. That can all be can all be made looking. But I, I will say one thing. Do we know who they are? I genuinely don't know if I know who these who these NFL teams are. That was actually going to be what I was going to say is do we actually have a good idea? And with that in mind, who would you pick right now if someone asked you who will win the Super Bowl? No odds, no nothing. Just who's going to win the Super Bowl? What's your answer? So the only thing we know is the 10 weeks of football that we've seen, basically. Uh, I, 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 what? <laughs> no, I mean, you know what? You no, know, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know what this question is. It's, it's not like in a box. I'm, I'm just saying not, not based off of odds or betting wise. Like not what's the best pick. Just... Who do you think is going to win the Super Bowl? But Frank, are you saying we have to base this information solely off the information that we know? No, it could be that off of my information you don't know. <laughs> no, no, I just couldn't make you fun. But I mean, that was a real Donald Rumsfeld moment from you there, Sam, where it could have ended up sounding insightful with known unknowns. But in the end, you've just said, yeah, just the known knowns. We're going to deal with just the known knowns here. I guess I'll answer. Uh, it's tough because every time every team I'm starting to think of and put that argument forward, I can immediately pick a major hole in them. Now let's revisit. Who did you pick at the start of the season when we did our preview? You picked the Chiefs, right? Yeah, I picked the Chiefs to play the Niners okay. in the Super Do Bowl. Do you still believe the Chiefs are the happening. most likely winner of the Super Bowl? No, but... They're not far away from convincing me that they might <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah, the Cowboys game is an interesting one. <laughs> like literally, if you ask me the same question this time next week, I might say, yeah, it looks like the Chiefs are coming into form at just the right time. But I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm going to say the Packers in the sense that they have the strongest – CV over the course of the season, but I think good teams will beat them. But they've kind of done everything right so far, barring week one and barring the Rogerless performance against the Chiefs, when even then they didn't lose to the Chiefs that badly. So I also think you then have to factor in the Packers with home field advantage throughout the playoffs, which they have a realistic chance of happening. And then they play snow games, which I know you love, Frank. Them. But that's that's legitimate home field advantage, right? Until they get to the Super Bowl, that's a major plus for them. Yeah, I so my pick originally was Chiefs Rams. I am going to say right now, 
my best feeling of who will win, I think, is the Bills. Partly because of what you are saying with the home field advantage, because right now they are on pace to have the home field advantage. And that's another tough, tough place to play in January in Buffalo. And in terms of completeness, yes, they lost to the Jags, but overall their defense looks extremely strong. And when their offense has looked good, it's looked very, very good. So I think when you combine a defense that's looked good all year with an offense that 80% of the time is clicking, I, I think for me, that would be the strongest pick I could have right now to be a Super Bowl winner. Does the Bills defense really look that good? I think so. I know shutting on, I know shutting out any NFL team is impressive, but when you really look back at the teams that they've played, their schedule has been so easy that it's, it's like, oh, wow, what a performance. They they limited the Dolphins to only a handful of points. Or they even against the Jags, they stopped them from having points, scoring a lot of points. Or good performance from the Bills against the Jets. like Because that division has turned into so top-heavy, where it's the Patriots and the Bills and the other two are pretty much garbage, and the rest of the teams, they've yet to play the Patriots. So they've had the easiest combination of games from within their – division i don't know what's the best defense that their what's the best offense that their defense has stood up against and put chiefs? in a good performance they decimated the chiefs mm. they played them at a they played them at the time yeah, when the chiefs were in that kind of mood to be beat them let's throw the let's throw the chiefs out give us the because that that's a whole other debate give it give the second best mm. then probably the i mean the second best team they played is the titans and they lost that game yeah they conceded 34 right yeah Okay, so what's their best defensive performance minus the Chiefs? I mean, it's, well, I mean, that's tough because now you're saying not good teams. You know, they shut out the Texans. No, 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 but yeah, but, but we're, if we're saying their defense is good, what's their next best Honestly, it was probably when, thinking about it when they shut out the Dolphins early on because the Dolphins were okay at the start of the season, right? They played like the first two or three games and actually did played like competent football. I'd probably say it's the 35-0 shutout, like early on in the season, just because that was when the Dolphins were playing anything competent. But no, and then held taken. them to 11 the second time after that. Yeah, but that's when they were incompetent. I don't know. I, I, I think, I, I take Eddie's point, that when you actually look at their kind of points conceded against teams that are going to be around them, it's high. When you look at the teams they've played, it's extremely generous. And look, you can only beat the team in front of you, and shutting out a team or limiting any NFL team to under 10 points is good, right? Like, it's very easy to be so dismissive of bad teams, but bad teams score a handful of points against most teams. So, you know, like, there's a big difference between beating a team 34 14 and beating a team 34 6, even though it's one score it's yeah. it's a real difference in terms of what happened in that game so i'm not saying that they don't have a good defense i just think it's very easy to kind of look at the raw numbers and then leap to the conclusion that they must have an elite defense and i'm just yeah. not sure and, and you know you alluded to better understanding the chiefs after they play the cowboys the same can be said i think for the bills coming up soon because they have the colts the saints the patriots the bucks the panthers the patriots those are all legitimately decent 
playoff contending teams right there. So a lot will be found out maybe about the Bills or they could have a great performance followed by, you know, a stinker followed by another great one like we were happening to see for every team in the NFL this year. You know, it's it's been tough. Yeah, I, I think every time we felt about a team, hey, these next two games are going to tell us what they're really like. The team either then tells us something and then immediately goes back on it, like the Rams. You kind of got to the point where the Ram, you felt like the Rams had proven themselves with the win against the Bucks and and some of their other performances. And then two in a row, <laughs> their last two offensive performances have been so bad. And it's not just that they lost; it's like the offense. I always thought if they're going to lose, they're going to lose shootouts, and then they're being near on shutout. So it's it's such a transformation that then it's then you don't know what the team is. And I think that's always the big struggle with some of these. There's so many NFL teams where it's, I don't know. The only team in a sense that I guess I can really, really trust when they're healthy is the Cardinals, that you can at least know the Cardinals have an explosive offense and they will deliver when they're fully healthy. But then I don't know if they're ever going to be fully healthy mm. again. And I definitely couldn't say now that I'm going to trust that they're going to be fully healthy yeah. in the first week of February. So, Sam, yeah. what's what would be your answer? I'd almost want to say the Bills just because a lot of the stuff you said, like when that offense is going, they are very good and they will just outscore anyone. But I think I think I pick, I picked the Chiefs and I actually said there could be a repeat of the Chiefs-Bucks kind of Super Bowl again. But from what I see, I like the Titans. I, I just like the fact that they're beating the teams that they would need to beat. And they've done it over the past couple without the kind of idea. We, we, we always said, like, can they do it without Henry? They can. Play action seems to still be working well because people fear the run game, even if Henry's not playing. So that plays into Tannehill well. You know, they've got an easier set of games coming up. Like the Patriots isn't easy in a couple of weeks, but I'd probably pick the Titans. I think they can they can outscore and they can just keep going with the best teams. And that's the important thing at the moment, I think. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't dislike that pick. I mean, I think they're up there for me. So I then want to follow this question up with, when you factor in the odds, what's the best bet to win the Super Bowl? So I'll run you through the top nine, probably six or seven. Bills are favored at six to one. Bucks are thirteen to two. Chiefs are eight to one. Packers are seventeen to two. Titans nine to one. Rams nine to one. Cards ten to one. Cowboys ten to one. Ravens 14 to 1 and Patriots 18 to 1. And after that, the next team would be Chargers at 30 to 1. So a sharp drop off. Um uh, factoring in odds, I'm gonna go to two teams you haven't even mentioned. Cause I think that every almost every team that makes the playoffs is gonna have a realistic okay. chance of winning. So you want me to keep going? It's one of those years. No, we don't have to run through the list. I'm looking at the list and I know where I'm going. <laughs> no, the 49ers at 80 to 1 I is think... a terrible bet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take the Vikings and the 49ers at 80 to 1. And I'm saying I got a chance with one of those with three games left in the NFL season. The Vikings at 80 to 1 is interesting, though. Because uh, did you, you didn't say the Patriots, but whereabouts are they in the betting? 18 to 1. Did he? he did say the Patriots. Yeah, I did. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last um, yeah, there's no value there. Man, these brain scans when we get hey, it's a lot of teams, a lot of numbers. Got to focus. Um, 
I don't know, actually, now you've said the Vikings 80-1, it's kind of an interesting pun. But I'd probably just stick with where I am, right? The fact that the Titans are, what, fifth, sixth favourites, and I think that they're kind of up there to do it at 9-1. 9-1, they are. Your Bengals are 50-1, to just FYI. Can I give my legitimate... My my legitimate answer would be the Ravens. See, now, I I thought that was interesting as well. I think they're really starting to worry me. Like, they worry me. But they still, I think at least you know with the Ravens, if on their day they they're as good as anyone, and that offense can just be near on un- unstoppable. Obviously, they were on my undoing in my Survivor, so it would also they it would add an extra layer of irony if they now never lose again and just run the table and go right through the Super Bowl. That will make it that slightly bit more painful as well. But I think fourteen to one is too big of a price. So I think if we're looking at value. I can't trust any of the teams in single figures. I don't think that's really none of. I don't see value in any of them. I, I think the fourteen to one on the Ravens is when I first start to see it, and I do genuinely mean that the Vikings and Niners at eighty to one. Put it this way: if they make the playoffs, they're not eighty to one. So when you're seeing teams that are bigger than that at that price, that you think might make it into the playoffs and could win a playoff game, then. 80 to 1 I, is too big. I kind of like the cards at 10 to 1. Here's a team, I think, who three weeks ago were probably, what, second favorites to win, and they've now dropped into seventh favorites just because Murray's been slightly hurt. So I understand always the worries that he's going to be hurt and he might not come back full strength, but they now have the luxury a little bit to slow down that process and make sure he's coming back healthy instead of rushing him. So I think, I think that's a benefit. And when they are a healthy team, they are, I think they're the best team in the NFL. So if they can get back to that healthiness, healthy level, then, you know, being the 10th favorite is a steal. Yes. And no, the reason I'll disagree with you pretty strongly is that throughout the season, whenever we've analyzed the Cardinals and their Super Bowl chances, We've always said, yeah, they're really good, but the worry is, will they be healthy? And I can't then do the reverse theory of, hey, they're not healthy now, but just imagine if they are healthy. If you see what I mean, like the thing we thought would happen, which was that Murray will get injured and they also have the risk of obviously losing some of their other superstars, but primarily the concern is Murray. It has come come to pass. And I can't then suddenly do some mental gymnastics and decide, Hey, I know I thought Murray would get injured. Now he is injured, but just imagine if But he's, he's getting his injuries out of the way now. Because <laughs> the Or he'll never be healthy again over the course of the season, which is kind of what we saw last year. If you told me they're gonna wrap him up in cotton wool and we're not gonna see Murray it's again until mummy. <laughs> week one of the playoffs, then maybe Cotton Wool. <laughs> Don't put mummies in cotton wool. Uh uh, <laughs> how long would that take? <laughs> well, more importantly, how long would it last? I think that would be the real concern for the mummy mummification process. Oh, it's just uh, disintegrated like a normal body. <laughs> this isn't good. But I mean, that's that's the issue. And look, you can you can kind of apply. I think always the thing with when you're like, oh, but will they be healthy? You can apply that same logic because if I can remove the quarterback from any of these teams, I am eliminating all of their chances. So it's not like, oh, well, I'll take Tampa Bay even if Tom Brady is not playing. 
it, it doesn't so it's a little unfair to the Cardinals, but the issue is is Murray looks like he with the way he plays, he looks like he always could get hurt and he does get hurt. I guess with that in mind, should we go on to our picks for kind of next week or starting tonight? Yeah. And last week not one of our best. So uh money line we Sam well, we all did pretty similarly. Sam was the best. He went 9-4-1. and one. We obviously had the tie with the Steelers-Lions uh, game. And then, Frank, you and I both went 7-6-1. Seven, and one. Against the spread, Sam, you and I both went 7-7. Seven and seven. And, Frank, your your slide continues. You went 5-9. Yeah, I knew I had a bad week. <laughs> you didn't have to tell me. <laughs> so... Our season totals then. Sam, you have caught me in the money line race. So we are now both 96, 53, and 1. Frank, you aren't far behind. You're 92, 57, and 1. And then against the spread, you're still in the lead, Frank. You're 81, 65, and 1, which is a great season. But obviously, it's a little bit of a, a fall from where you were before. Sam is catching you. He's only four games behind now. He's 77, 62, and one. 77, 61, and one, sorry. And I am 75, 74, and one. So I, I'm kind of keeping my head just up. above the 500 water. If I remember right, Frank, that's your second five and nine in a row. Yeah. I mean, it's been two tough weeks for, for betting overall. Not for me. <laughs> Sam, I had one question for you before we wrap up. Did you see the new Spider-Man trailer? Not yet. Ooh. No. I haven't the even internet seen is spoilers. I haven't even seen spoilers about it, so I'm pretty impressed with that. Um, yeah, I look forward to seeing it, actually. Um, and actually, Eddie, I had one for you. You said that you were watching a lot of television because you were sick. Did you watch the new Netflix movie that apparently broke oh, streaming Red, Red Notice? Red Notice? Mm, it's no, the Ryan, Gal Gadot, the Ryan Reynolds, uh, Ryan Reynolds and, no, and The Rock. No. I, I've had enough Ryan Reynolds in my life. I know what... If, if there's a... Is it, wait, wait. Is this a... Is this a we are, he, I know who I thought... Big exclusive? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I had a threesome with Harry Styles and Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> And Harry did enough, but Ryan, you know, all looks, no substance. But no, Ryan Reynolds, I've, he, he is Ryan Reynolds and everything. And I find him quite charming in a way, his real life persona when him talking, like when you see him at Wrexham and stuff, that's been fine. But I, you can just copy and paste all of his performances from one to the other and, and I just don't need it anymore. I don't need the sarcastic cultural reference jokes constantly. I'm I'm all right. Yeah. He'd be a good guest though. We should get him on to talk about Rexham. I'll say this now, there's no fucking way Ryan Reynolds is ever coming on this podcast. <laughs> Do you mean out of the you... fact that he just wouldn't anyway or you're full on vetoing it? Well, it's ninety nine percent there's no way he would. 
And then, the, and then that one percent he does, and he's gonna say, "Yeah, no, never mind. We got someone else." <laughs> yeah. Such a power play. Such a power yeah. play. You know what? I'll I'll invite him on. We just won't record it. We'll just have a conversation. And then... Oh shit! Oh shit! Sorry, Ryan. <laughs> I forgot to hit. I forgot to hit record. Sorry. And we'll use Skype as well. Oh, oh we could do that one in person. I mean, I'll tell you when we start pulling in people as significant as Ryan Reynolds, these will be in person. Something's got to give at that point. So he can fly to us, to all of us. Wow, <laughs> just split into three personalities. Yeah, he flies, has a short conversation, fifteen minutes with Frank, fifteen minutes with Sam. Uh yeah, no, I, I did not. I did watch the new movie on Apple, the new Tom Hanks movie on Apple TV. Finch. <laughs> Why are you so into these Tom Hanks movies? <laughs> I don't know. Just had to give it a go. It was better than Greyhound or whatever that movie was called. It was better. Is it like Sam said, though, where it's just him instead of Wilson the soccer ball, it's him with a robot? It's not far off. It's not far off. It's not terrible. I would put it in the category of watchable. If you're having a weekend and you kind of got nothing to do and you want something that just kind of exists and you'll go through the story and it doesn't challenge you intellectually in any way and it's sort of sad at times but it's fine it's it does what it does it's not great doesn't deserve any awards doesn't need to be rewatched i wouldn't recommend it but you're not going to go wrong with it damning <laughs> it's so damning i have also been watching the new season of curb your enthusiasm that I have been watching and enjoying. I've been saving it. I have. Yeah, I'm saving it, it too. I've been too caught up with the new season of Succession and Below Deck. So, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess with that, I'll talk to you guys later. See you. Cheerio.